friends, my name is Hannah Nielsen, and I am delighted to be here. Uh, I'm the associate youth pastor here at the River, and if you notice, there are lots of youth in the house, <laughs> our party people. Uh, and I'm just so excited to get to be with you this morning uh, and see what the Lord has in store for us. If you've been with us over the summer, uh, you might know, or you might not know too, that we have been in a deep dive of characters in scripture that we might not have heard as much about, might know their names, but don't really know their stories. And so today I get to talk to you about someone who is known for being brutally honest. I don't know if you know this, but in my line of work, I get to work with some of the most brutally honest people around. Uh, teenagers have some filter, but uh, they are very, very honest, particularly middle schoolers. Um, I was working at another church a couple years ago, and at a retreat, my students were talking about Chick-fil-A, and if you know anything about me, you know I love Chick-fil-A, um, particularly the chicken nuggets. 10 out of 10 would recommend. And so my kids are talking about Chick-fil-A, and I was like, guys, the nuggets are so good. And they're like, we know you love them. And I was like, yes, I do. And one of them goes, well, it makes sense, because like, you're basically 50% chicken nugget already. And I was like, excuse me? First of all, what does that mean? <laughs> Second of all, I don't know whether to be offended that you called me a chicken nugget or really honored because I love chicken nuggets. <laughs> Uh, my sister used to work at a preschool as an aide in the classroom, and she was telling me about uh, preschoolers who are even more unfiltered than middle schoolers, even more brutally honest. Uh, and there was this one kid who was sitting in her teacher's lap, and she was like looking up at his neck, and she was like touching it. She's touching his Adam's apple, and she's like, what is this? And he goes, oh, you know, it's my Adam's apple. Most guys have them. It's just like a part of my throat. She's caressing it, and she goes, it's beautiful. <laughs> You know, I think that we all have areas in our life where we need someone to be honest or brutally honest, including moments where they need to tell us that our Adam's apples are beautiful or that we're basically a chicken nugget. Uh, but more often than not, I find that we need someone to be brutally honest with us about the things in our lives that matter. Sometimes we need people to be honest with us about, hey, I see what you're going through and it seems like you're kind of overwhelmed. Seems like you might be taking on a lot, maybe you need to think about some priorities because I care about you. Or we see that some people need to be honest in affirming us that, hey, I see that your family situation is really hard, and I'm sorry, and I'm here with you, and I love you. Or sometimes we are not approaching things in the correct way, a situation or a person, and we need to be called out in a brutally honest way by someone to say, hey, I think you need to shift your approach in how you're coming across because this isn't very kind. And I can think of no one better to exemplify this way of being, this speaking of brutal truth, than the prophet Nathan. So would you join me this morning in prayer as we begin our time? God, we recognize that you are here in this place, and Lord, that you have a message for each and every one of us. And so we ask that you would open our hearts, open our ears, to hear what you have to say to us through this prophet Nathan. In your holy name we pray, amen. So Nathan, some of us might have heard of this guy. He is a prophet, hence why he's the prophet Nathan. Uh, and prophets are people who are utilized by God to communicate God's message with the world. Essentially, it's a person who has a direct line of communication with God in order to share what God has to say to his people. 
And not much is known about the life of Nathan. We do know that he came after the prophet Samuel, and we also know that he uh, appears suddenly in scripture with the rise of King David. And he was a court prophet, meaning that he was a prophet who spoke for God in the court of a king. So he worked very closely with King David, and they formed a relationship. I can only imagine that there's a friendship as you are spending a lot of time with someone, giving counsel, being in lots of meetings, getting to see like, oh, they're about to laugh right now, or like, oh, maybe they're getting upset right now. There's a bond, a vibe that you pick up, and a relationship that is made. But as prophet, Nathan also had a difficult job. See, he had to speak truth on behalf of God that was often hard to hear. But Nathan always did this by speaking truth in love. And I think that Nathan is a prime example of one of the aspects that we are called to live out as Christians, as followers of Jesus. So we are also called to speak truth in love. And we do so because it changes our communities. Speaking truth in love changes our cultures. And speaking truth in love can change our mindsets. Speaking truth in love leads us to a different way of living. And Nathan shows us how to live in this way. In November of 2019, a new show took Disney Plus by storm. Based upon the original Star Wars series by George Lucas, The Mandalorian was an instant hit. It follows the story of Din Djarin, a lone Mandalorian bounty hunter making his way through the galaxy with some very important cargo. The Mandalorian are a proud warrior people who hail from the planet Mandalore. And what's interesting about them is that when they, uh, when they communicate with one another, they, they tend to say this mantra, this is the way. And this mantra reminds them of who they are. It's an embodiment for them of what it means to be Mandalorian. And so as you see Din Djarin communicating with other Mandalorians, you see it spoken a lot throughout the series. See, this is the way reminds them of who they are and that they are called to a moral code and a higher standard. We, as Jesus followers, are also called to a moral code and a higher standard. And Nathan shows us how to live according to this moral code and higher standard and that speaking truth in love is the way. His life shows us how to speak truth in love in three steps. Because speaking truth in love can be really hard. And when it gets down to it, we ask, how do we actually do that in our day-to-day lives? Great question, I'd love to tell you. <laughs> Step number one, in order to speak truth in love that we see from the life of Nathan, we are called to develop relationships and connect more than correct. We are called to develop relationships and connect more than correct. I mentioned that Nathan and David spent a lot of time together, so they had uh, this relationship as friend. They knew each other well. There was a trust built up. I'm sure they knew what each other's favorite food was and what made them laugh and what was really hard for them. We also know that Nathan served in relationship as a spiritual guide for David, communicating from God to David, but also in those moments of really hard moments when he just needed someone to walk alongside him, Nathan was there. 
And we also know that Nathan serves as a mentor to David once his son Solomon is born. And because there's not much known about Nathan, um, we see that he has some very specific moments that are documented in Scripture. But even in those moments that are documented, I notice that he does not speak up a lot. He's not giving these long-winded sermons to David. But when he does speak up, David listens. Because he has a relationship with Nathan, and he knows what he's speaking is important. In Nathan's ministry, he has a history with David, and so he speaks these things to him that we see. The first of which is called the Davidic covenant. And so when David rises uh, to be king, God says, I have a promise that I want to make you. I actually have a lot of promises I want to make you about the good things that I have in store for you. And so this is the, is the Davidic covenant that is spoken to David, that God's going to make his name great. God is going to establish a home for Israel, keep the people from oppression, give David rest from his enemies, establish a house for David through his offspring, allow David's son to build God's temple, and never to take God's love away from David or his offspring, which is what had happened to Saul. This is important because it shows that Nathan knows the good things that God has in store. Nathan wants to deliver these, these promises and these messages of goodness. But at the same time, David, Nathan also has to call out David for his wrongdoing, which is what Nathan is most known for, is one instance in particular where he has to tell David that you messed up. And that is an uncomfortable place to be in. He also is able to offer a message of forgiveness and redemption. He is able to help instill Solomon to the throne after David's passing. And Nathan is the first person to prophesy the messianic promise of David's lineage. That's a lot of big words, but essentially what this means is that Nathan is the first person in history to say, David, from your line is going to come the Messiah, God's son, the one who changes it all. And that is a result of your lineage. You have great things in store for you. And he's able to communicate these things well because there is a relationship and a bond built up between Nathan and David. And notice he does have to call David out. He does have to speak harsh truth in love. And for us, I think that oftentimes correction is our initial response when we see someone doing something we don't agree with or we see a hard situation. Our initial response is, nope, you're wrong. But is that what we are actually called to do? If we are choosing to seek connection over correction, it's a countercultural idea because connection takes effort. David and Nathan are only able to be in relationship with one another because of time and effort put in on both accounts. But we see the fruits that happen as a result of Nathan forming those bonds. He's able to speak truth in love. This is the way. And connection creates safety and openness. Safety that you can trust what the person is going to say, and openness to not being defensive and believing they have the best intent for you. A couple years ago, I was working at my home church in Davis, uh, and I was the high school director there. I have a lot of fond memories of my time there in this church I grew up in, uh, but particularly, there is one student who stands out in my mind. 
Um, and he stands out for a lot of good reasons, but also because he was considered the difficult child. <laughs> he was considered the problematic kid at our youth group. We would often find that he would have to be reprimanded by adults for doing disruptive or not great things. And I found out over time that this was kind of how it was at school too, that he had this reputation. And his parents were kind of at a loss of like, how, how do we best coach him and help him? But I also knew that there had to be more to the story because every time I interacted with this kid, I was like, you were so incredibly smart. You were actually very kind little disruptive, but very kind. You're incredibly fun and a hilarious person to be around. So what is going on? What is actually happening? And it was during a small group time uh, after the message at youth group one day that he, he ended up coming late, and so I invited him to join my small group of people. And the, what we were talking about was expectations and how people perceive us. And he didn't answer. And so after everyone went around, I kind of encouraged him, like, hey, like, tell me a little bit about what you think about this. And he said something that cut me to my core. He said, everyone expects me to be bad. Everyone expects me to fail. And so why would I try to prove them wrong? So much more effort to try and be the good kid or to prove them wrong when they're just already expecting me to do the wrong thing or to fail. I don't know if anyone even believes in me, honestly. And in that moment, in that moment of vulnerability, in that moment of relational connection, I just kept thinking, you are capable of so much more. And so I had an idea. I talked to some of our other uh, leaders and staff, and I said, hey, uh, he's kind of disruptive. I think we know that. He doesn't want to lead the game, but what if he were to lead the game instead of participating? If he doesn't, he doesn't want to participate, but what if he were to lead? So I asked him, and he agreed. So he would lead our games and start including people in that process. I said, actually, I, I recognize that you're a really gifted public speaker. What if you emceed or hosted and did announcements? Because then you probably can't interrupt yourself while you're talking. <laughs> you can't talk over yourself. So maybe that would be a way that you could contribute in a positive way, trying to redirect that energy. See, I recognize that he didn't need to be told how bad his behavior was. He already knew that. What he really needed was an opportunity to be seen, an opportunity to be known, and that is connection. And these moments of connection for him, these opportunities to lead, created a sense of openness and safety for him. That I could say, hey, dude, I really see how you're doing this and trying, and you're doing a great job. I think you're really gifted and talented in these areas. It also created opportunities for when he would mess up for me to say, I'm going to be honest because I love you, but you can't do that. Or this is actually not how we go about things. And he was able to receive it because of the connection that we had built. And with that shift, something incredible happened over the course of his high school career. He decided he did want to go to college and that he wanted to turn his grades around. He actually committed to showing up to youth group all the time, and anything we did, he was like, I'm the first call. Just let me know, and I'll be there. He vol started volunteering with kids. He got us in a steady relationship, and he was able uh, to be a student leader in our missions trip to Mexico. This kid's life started to change and started to shift because of this connection, because, not because we told him what was wrong, but instead because we chose to connect and start to help him shift his perspective. 
See, Maya Angelou has a great quote, and I've never forgotten it. It says this, I've learned that people will forget what you said. People will forget what you did. But people will never forget how you made them feel. This is how you speak truth and love. This is what it means to connect over correct. This is the way. The second way that we seek to speak truth and love is by guarding our tongues and recognizing whether what we're about to say is loving truth or not. We have to guard our tongues and recognize that what we're about to say if it is or is not loving truth. What Nathan is best known for in scripture is having to call David out for a horrendous act that he committed in 2 Samuel. At this point in David's reign, he's done a lot of great things. He's also did some less than savory things. The worst act is that he steals another man's wife, he gets her pregnant, and then sends her husband to battle to die to cover up for the fact that he has committed this horrible offense. And because we know Nathan was in relationship with David in a way that they're close, I can, I can imagine him just thinking to himself, dude, are you serious? This is what you're choosing to do. God has all these incredible promises for you, and you decide to lean into your brokenness in this way? Are you for real? And it comes out of a place of Nathan caring. And so he thinks to himself, I need to take a step back and I need to figure out how to communicate this better than I'm doing right now. I need to be wise about this. He takes the time to think about how he should communicate. Nathan is really strategic about this. He calls David out in the form of a story. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel chapter 12. And the Lord sent Nathan to David he came to him and said to him, there were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the one poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb, which he had bought. And he brought it up and it grew up with him and with his children, used to eat of his morsel and drink from his cup and lie in his arms. And it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man and he was unwilling to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the guest who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared it for the man who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. And he shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Then Nathan said to David, you are the man. David, this person that you're so upset about, that is you. Are you recognizing the error of your ways that you have done this horrible thing and you cannot restore that, what you have taken? You have so much more in store for you. What does it look like to repent in this moment for David? What Nathan is teaching us in this moment in this strategic way of bringing up a hard situation to the person he's supposed to counsel, he's showing us that what we say is just as important as how we say it. That's why it's necessary to guard our tongue. Don't immediately respond. Figure out, is what you're saying loving truth? There's a great acronym that I like to use in these situations, and it's very simple. 
wait. W-A-I-T, which stands for, why am I talking? <laughs> and I think it's a great tool to utilize because it really makes us pause and say, am I doing this reactively or intentionally? Am I choosing to speak up because I'm upset or because I think this is the right thing to do? It causes us to analyze, uh, to, to analyze ourselves, pause and reflect on the why. This is the way. In order to speak truth and love, the third point is that we are called to trust the outcome with God. We have to trust the outcome with God. See, Nathan was being faithful in delivering this hard truth to David. He was being faithful in saying the unsavory thing. And it wasn't Nathan's words that changed the heart of David. That was God's job. God is ultimately the one who changed David's heart, and he utilized Nathan for his mission, for his perfect plan. But God is in control. And I have to wonder, what would have happened if Nathan didn't speak in love? What would have happened? If he hadn't said anything, David would have stayed an adulterer. David would have stayed and sat in his brokenness. He would have sat in his shame. And he would not have become a man after God's own heart, which we know him to be. See, Nathan's words changed the course of history. Not only the reign of David, but all that David would do and all that David would become. And while the change for David was almost an immediate shift that Nathan was able to witness, I find that oftentimes we don't get to see the fruits of the seeds that God is planting through us. It can be pretty disheartening. But I also know that when we do see the fruit, it is a blessing to see our partnership in the work of God. There has to be that trust that God's going to take care of it it's not our responsibility, it's God's responsibility. And I notice in our culture that if given the opportunity to say something really hard or say nothing at all, we're going to choose to say nothing at all. Conflict is hard. But when has that stopped Nathan? When has that stopped these incredible people in the scripture that we see who are standing up and speaking out in truth and in love? About a month and a half ago, uh, I was hanging out with my friend and we went to go get Somi Somi, which if you have never gotten Somi Somi, 10 out of 10 would recommend. Uh, it's like ice cream, taiyaki, Japanese deliciousness, big fan. Would literally went last night, so that's how good it is. So uh, you should go. Um, we were getting somi somi and just hanging out, catching up, and we, we grabbed our, our food and then went around the corner, and this guy starts to approach us, and he's like, hey, can I ask you a question? And we were like, oh, no, no, please, introvert's worst nightmare, let's not do that. He was like, no, 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 I promise, only take a second. And we're like, that's a lie, but okay. Uh, and he said, he said, I just have a quick question for you. And so we were like, all right, dude, he's like a young adult guy, probably around my age or younger, and he goes, hey, what happens when you die? Where do you go? And we were like, okay. You're going to evangelize to the already Christians. 
sweet. <laughs> so he starts, he asks us this question, and we're kind of uncomfortable. We respond to him, and then he just goes off about the lake of fire and about hell and how we need to repent and all these things. And we're like, yeah, we know. We got it. At one point, uh, my friend is like, hey, dude, like, we're friends because of a church small group. So, like, you're preaching to the choir. Like, we're good. And he's like, oh, cool. So hell. And, like, continues on his way saying, like, I need to speak truth. I need to speak truth. Uh, like, this is what I'm called to do, and I'm evangelizing, but it's getting progressively and progressively more aggressive. And so we're like, this is not, doesn't feel effective. Um, and I recognize some things within myself from when I have had hard conversations is I would be much more inclined to just like fade into the background and be like, yeah, man, yeah, let's like slowly edge our way out and not respond, even if what the person is saying is like really not okay, because conflict is difficult. So this guy is getting more and more heated and like trying to theologically debate us. And my, my friend just goes, well, she's a pastor. So like you guys can like, and, and the, guy, the guy goes, oh, you're a pastor? And I was like, yeah, <laughs> sure am. And he goes, so they let you preach in front of like everyone? The irony of what's happening right now in this moment is not lost on me. And I was like, yeah, they do let me preach in front of everyone. And he was like, hmm. Continues talking about hell and how we're wrong and how the KJV is the only true version of the Bible and all these things, and which we're like, hmm, interesting false, but okay. Um, and so he continues going on and on. And finally, he's trying to like fight us on some issues. And I'm like, man, I just need to stop you. This is not a productive conversation. And I had to stop and go, okay, Hana, what does it look like to speak truth and love in this specific moment? Is it saying nothing? Is it saying something? Oh, I'll kill him with kindness. That'll get him. And so I proceeded to just say, dude, I respect what you're doing. I think your ministry is awesome. I think street evangelism is hard. Way to go. But also your approach is kind of aggressive. What if we were to speak in love as Jesus did? What if we were to be in relationship and have that speak more than these harsh truths you're going on about? Isn't that what Jesus did? And he goes, but the truth, there's a limited time. I have to speak to them. And I was like, okay. And then he starts talking about all the ineffective ways that's happened in the past. And he goes, he goes yeah, because like Calvinism, do you know what Calvinism is? And I was like, yes, I know what Calvinism is. And then he goes, what is it? And I said, nope, we're leaving. We got to go. We are not having this discussion. Start walking away. And he goes, well, I just need to let you know, as a brother in Christ, um, you're living in sin and you can't be a pastor because you're a woman. I said, Okay. And he goes, yeah, because according to the KJV, the only true version of the Bible, it says that you can't do this. And here's all the scriptures. And I was like, great, do you know the context of that scripture? Do you have a full understanding of what it means, what these passages mean? And he just goes on and on about how I am sinning. I am not allowed to do X, Y, or Z. And I go, great, I wish nothing but the best in your ministry. Toodles. Walked out. I have no idea what happened to that dude. And I kind of don't want to know. But I also feel as though I can hold my head up high, knowing that, as, that I was able to communicate truth as lovingly as possible, that I chose not to just stay silent, but to actually speak out, <laughs> trusting that God had a plan, that God was going to intercede on our behalf. God is going to take care of that situation. He is ultimately the one in charge of that person's heart. And how freeing is it to know that God's got it? 
We don't have to carry the weight of being in charge of someone's thoughts, opinions, feelings, actions. That is all God. How freeing that is. See, speaking truth in love can be really hard. But I'm extremely grateful, extremely grateful, that we have the example of Nathan to show us the way. As we try and apply this to our lives, we can... We can rely on Nathan's examples that we've heard, that we are called to develop relationships and connect more than correct. We are called to guard our tongues and recognize whether what we're about to say is loving truth or not. And we get to trust the outcome with God. So that by speaking truth in love, we can change our communities, we can change our cultures, we can change mindsets. Speaking truth in love, this is the way. And this week, I want to challenge you. Yes, you, the person trying not to make eye contact with me. I'm challenging you specifically. I want to challenge us to speak truth in love to someone around us. Just try it out. And if it feels hard in that moment, you can say, this is the way, as a reminder of what we are called to do. And I don't mean just run up to someone and be like, you're wrong, Jesus loves you, yay, and then like run away, like, no. Perhaps speaking truth in love looks like this. It could be calling someone up and just saying, hey, here's all the great things I see about you. Here's where I see God at work in your life. Here's where I see your gifts and your talents at work. That is truth in love. It could be having an honest conversation with someone you love about setting healthy boundaries for yourself. That is speaking truth in love. It could even be holding back a comment or an opinion if you don't agree with someone. That is also speaking truth in love. But friends, imagine, imagine how God could transform our community here at the river if we were a people who spoke truth in love, just as Nathan did. Imagine who would be encouraged. Imagine who would be lifted up. Imagine how God would change the course of lives caught in sin. And imagine the deep relationships we could build with one another. We are called to speak truth in love. This is the way. In a moment, we're going to have an opportunity to converse with one another. If you are like me and more introverted, you do not have to. You can pretend to be on your phone, or uh, I would encourage you to write your responses to these questions on a phone, or you need to just spend some time in prayer. But I want us to think about what would it look like for you to speak truth in love to another person? What does that look like for you in your life? And come up with a person who that could happen with. Recognizing yourself, is speaking truth in love difficult for you? Why or why not? And lastly, is there someone in your life who has spoken truth in love to you? What was that like? And as we think about these questions, as we talk with our neighbors, or a process for ourselves, let us be a people, a community, who speaks truth in love. I'm going to pray for us, and then you're free to discuss. God, we thank you for the example of Nathan, for all that we can learn from his life, 
all that he shows us about speaking truth, speaking truth in a loving way. Lord, would you reveal to us in our discussions and our processing of what this looks like in our lives, and would we ultimately trust that you've got it covered, that God, your way is the best way. In your name we pray.